for the reading of God's word. We're in Titus chapter 2, Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. Pastor Mike will be preaching from these verses this morning. Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, in steadfastness. Older women likewise are to be reverent, in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and to train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame. You may be seated. This morning we want to especially remember our dads and our grads, and this week Vacation Bible School is starting. We want to remember that especially, so join with me as we pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for your love that you have bestowed upon us in ways that we can't even begin to understand or even imagine. 
But Lord, you have lavished your grace upon us, layer upon layer, that flows over us every moment of every day, and we, we praise you for that, Lord. We thank you for your goodness and your grace. Lord, we want to join with um, King David as he prayed, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all, and in your hand are power and might, and in your hand is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. And so, Lord, we do praise your name, for indeed you hold all things together through the power of your word. And Lord, we pray now that you would uh, guide us and teach us from your word even this day through the work of your Holy Spirit. Lead us into all truth. Purify our hearts. Lord, cause us to focus on all that you would have for us this day, that we might be changed through the power of your word, through the work of your spirit, through the truth of the gospel, and that we might walk in a manner worthy of that which we proclaim and that which we hear glorious gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we acknowledge that we fall short. We acknowledge that uh, we struggle with sin every day of our lives. And yet, Lord, you have called us to be a people who walk as redeemed. And you've called us, Lord, to be a people who are new creations, which you have created in us through our Lord Jesus Christ. So we pray for your strength and we pray for your guidance. We pray for your cleansing even this day. And Lord, now we ask that you would bless our dads especially today. We thank you for the memory of so many dads that have gone on before us who have proclaimed faithfully and lived faithfully the power of your word and the truth of the gospel. And Lord, we thank you for lives that have been changed and bolded by dads in ways that honor you. And we pray, Lord, now your blessing upon fathers yet with us today. And we ask, Lord, that you would strengthen them, guide them, and bless them even, even now in this day. And Lord, we thank you for our grads and pray, Lord, that as they move on to the next phase of life, and many, Lord, are so eager to move on, and others are fearful and not sure what is the next step ahead. And yet, Lord, you have told us that you guide our steps, that you lead us into paths of righteousness. And Lord, may our grads trust in you wholly and completely and lead not into their own understanding, but in all their ways acknowledge you and trust you to guide their paths. And so, Lord, we pray also for our vacation Bible school starting we pray, Lord, that the transforming work of your word and your spirit would be upon every teacher, upon every child that is here this coming week, that lives might indeed be transformed through the gospel of Christ. So, Lord, we commit th that ministry to you. We commit those lives to you. We commit their very souls to you, Lord, and pray your blessing and your work in their lives. And Lord, we thank you now. May our worship and our hearing and our singing and our words and our thoughts be pleased in your sight in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The song we are about to sing was written by uh, Keith Getty, and he said there were two quotes that inspired the lyrics. The first is from uh, John Stott, who said, Standing before the cross, we see simultaneously our worth and our unworthiness, since we perceive both the greatness of his love in dying and the greatness of our sin in causing him to die. And a second by William Temple, who wrote, My worth is what I am worth to God. And that is a marvelous great deal, for Christ died for me.
we're people who've been redeemed and we're very sinful, but Christ is a great Savior and He's greater than our sins. And so we'll sing two wonders here that I confess, my worth and my unworthiness, my value fixed, my ransom paid at the cross. Would you stand as we sing? And we'll sing, my worth is not in what I own. My worth is not in what I own, not in the strength of flesh and bones, but in the costly words of
Father, we thank you for the saint who wrote those words, and we thank you that for so many years Christians have been singing together that it is well with our soul because of what Christ has done for us. Thank you that our sin, not in part but in the whole, has been nailed to the cross and we bear it no more. And so we praise you, Lord. Thank you for this uh, opportunity to receive your word this morning. Lord, we pray that you would open our hearts as your word is preached. Would you be at work by your Holy Spirit to exalt Christ and to help us enjoy him and obey him. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Today being Father's Day, promise kept, and we will be focused on Titus 2, Biblical Christian Manhood. So we'll take a brief break from Ephesians to address this on Father's Day as we address Biblical Christian Womanhood on Mother's Day. You know, influences matter, and Christian men must be healthy spiritually because they influence others. Whatever you spend your time practicing, whatever you give yourself to, you get good at, whether sin or godliness, and you are under its influence, and you influence others. And resemblance uh, is not by accident. Often you might hear someone say, uh, you look just like your dad. You resemble your father. It happened to me my whole life. I'm really glad my dad's a good-looking guy. (laughs) Sometimes you hear people say this. You act just like your dad. You act like the one who influenced you, for better or worse. You're like him. We bear their image by God's design and, and years of discipline, being conformed and even trying to conform to a pattern. And praise God, believers are being remade in the image of Christ, and God is knocking off all the rough edges and freeing you progressively from sin and keeping the good stuff, conforming believers to the image of His Son, and every believer is called to imitate God, that those who are called by Christ's name are to imitate Him, and those who, who reflect Him and bear His image. Paul said this way, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Conform to his image as we imitate him. But still, we are being influenced by many things. There is no end to all the opinions and the books and the advice out there that there is for men. There's a lot of confusion about manhood. A lot of bad ideas. Our upside-down world is hell-bent on trading overblown ideas of toxic masculinity for this unrecognizable, you know, feminized version. And, and we just don't need to make anything up on either end of the spectrum. We don't, we don't need to come up with fables. Uh, the answers are in the Word of God. And we need to, we are desperate for this. We need to be influenced more by the Word of God than by the world. And Titus 2 just perfectly portrays a, an unencumbered vision of real biblical Christian manhood. It goes beyond thin cliches and stereotypes. That it shines as a, as a beacon of God-exalting health, even while it is being called abnormal and unhealthy. The Christian men 
must be healthy spiritually because they will influence others. Just in the, as in the first century, in 2023, we've got we've to clarify what biblical Christian manhood is. You can't assume it. As long as the devil roams, it's under attack. And so like we did on Mother's Day in verses 3 to 5 uh, with biblical Christian womanhood, uh, we're going to look today at biblical Christian manhood, and you do have to break it down. Biblical. It's God's design, his sovereign design, it's his idea. Uh, it's, we're talking about Christian manhood, so those who have been regenerated by the Spirit of God, those who are born again, uh, God's sovereign salvation uh, as his gift they've received, they are his possession, uh, he is preserving them. And we're talking about manhood. We're talking about what is radically God's good design to be received as God's good gift to reflect God's glory. And as noted, uh, God's vision for manhood and womanhood fit together beautifully. Uh, In verses 3 to 5, we saw what Christian womanhood looks like. That older women are uh, to live a godly life and lead younger women. And that younger women must live a godly life and learn from older women. And I gave nine applicational encouragements on Mother's Day. In fact, they found their way onto a bookmark, and some of those are floating around. Uh, Someone made one. uh, But what what, what I said that day on these encouragements was this. We've got to emphasize character and conviction. We've got to actively help uh, younger generations. We've got to beware forced conformity. We've got to reject unhealthy comparison. We've got to choose wisely. We've got to embrace the beauty of how God designed you. Let that be the calling that drives you to find refuge and identity in Christ. I said that you need to cherish the God-given design of women in their personhood and roles. Cherish them as worthy reflections of God's glory. And then the last two, rejoice in role contentment. And then be shaped by the word, not your own mind or the world. Now, similar things can appropriately be said of biblical Christian manhood. Manhood and womanhood are beautiful callings and God uses to display his glory through his creation and in the church. That his glory is seen as we embrace our biblical identities and roles, and and that is so much greater and so much more full than the the thin substitutes that the world gives. And what was Titus to do? What are we seeing here in this passage? Titus was to spell it out. Titus was to tell in detail what following (laughs) Jesus looked like for various groups within the church. And it was important for these distinctions to be made It was important for the men to be addressed. It was important for the women to be addressed separately. When everyone can listen in, but men, this is what you're to be like. Women, this is what you're to be like. And it's because of creation. It's because of God's design. It's because of God-given roles that that he has given each. I mean, think about it. A a, a church of all men would not work. It'd be smelly and, and a lot of other things, right? Uh... But, it w- but a church of all women wouldn't work either. That's only half the picture of what God designed. So you need the whole body, all meant to contribute, all playing their part. And the verses we're going to look at today is speaking about the men. We're going to look at verses 1 and 2, and then 6, 7, and 8. Speaking about the men. And what you'll notice as we, as we work our way through these verses 
is there is one verse for older men. So older men, you'll have to listen up for that. There is one verse for younger men. And there are three verses for leaders. And it's really sandwiched in. It's a bookends. Uh, verse 1 is to Titus as a leader, be applied to church leaders. Verse 2 is for older men. Verse 6 is for younger men. And verses 7 and 8 come back around to Titus and say, okay, Titus, I, didn't, I, I need to tell you more. There's more for the leaders. And the idea behind these verses is this. Christian men must be healthy spiritually because they influence other people. That biblical Christian manhood has to be spelled out and called out and lived out. Even as we see what older men and younger men must do and be. But it starts with the leadership. So the first thing you're going to see, verse 1, it's, it's calling out the leader men. The leader men. And, and, and what it's telling the leader men is this. You stand up and give the truth. Stand and deliver the truth. That you, Titus, he says, verse 1, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Men are called to lead. You're supposed to stand up and deliver and guide the flock. This is what the leaders are supposed to do. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. They're to teach what accords with or what fits with what, what is suitable for a particular context. Now, what's the context? Sound doctrine. The word sound means healthy. It simply means healthy. It means that it's well. It's good. It's good for you. And it's doctrine. That's what is taught. That the un eternal, unchanging, bedrock biblical truth. And soundness is one of the themes in Titus. Uh, Titus is all about being healthy and doing good. It's life and leadership in the local church. It's the gospel gives you real hope for real change, so be healthy and do good. In Christ's strength and for his glory. That's what Titus is about. You'll see this word soundness in chapter 1 two times. You see it three times here uh, in, in the verses we'll look at today. And it's about soundness in teaching, healthy teaching. The post-resurrection, pre-ascension Jesus said this in Matthew 28. You teach them all that I commanded you. You go and make disciples, you baptize them, and teach them all that I commanded you. Paul told Timothy, 1 Timothy 6, if anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words, the healthy words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he's puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and quarrels about words that produces envy and dissension and slander and evil suspicions and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth. You don't want to be in that category. Paul told Timothy, follow the pattern of sound words, healthy words that you heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Do that, and by the Holy Spirit that dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. It's important. Don't let it go. He tells Timothy, be ready in season and out of season. Re reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching, instruction. The teaching is to be healthy. Titus 1.9 speaks of the elders and says they must hold firm. Every elder in a local church must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, not making up their own stuff, and able to give instruction in sound doctrine, healthy teaching, and rebuke those who contradict the healthy teaching. The teaching is the foundation of making disciples. Jesus told us to do it. It is the mark of a healthy church. 
Grace Church. We're known for teaching the word of God, for, for loving the truth, for, for loving Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life, and for loving the word he gave us and for lovingly giving the truth. And that, that's the key to freedom. A church free from heresy is where you have to have a, a humble and solid grasp of the truth of, of healthy doctrine that sets you free from the idol of your own mind. I mean, our idol factory hearts can easily turn our understanding of something into an idol. And leaders are to faithfully give the word of God, not their own ideas. They're to faithfully lead with love and truth. This is the first thing about biblical Christian manhood. Loving the truth, truthing lovingly, caring enough to cut it straight without apology, and doing it in the home and in the church. But man, if you're a head of a household, you're to bring the, the word to, of God upon, upon, to bear upon your, your home, the people in your home. You're to pray and to, and to praise God together. And in the church, if you're called to lead in the church, you're to bring the word of God to bear upon the church. If you're called to lead and somehow you stumble in word or deed, you offer, you offer humble apology, but you don't apologize for the word of God. One of the very first sermons I preached in the 1980s, a mentor, pastor of mine, came up to me after the sermon, and he said, don't you ever again apologize for the word of God. He goes, you gave it, you, you, you taught it, and then you were afraid of what everyone was going to say and think, so you unraveled it. Don't you ever again apologize for the word of God. Offer humble apologies when you're wrong. But when you're giving the word of God, give it boldly, faithfully, without apology. Leader men, this is the first thing. Leader men, stand up and give the truth. Stand up and deliver the truth. And now older men, next older men, so all you older men... You're all going, I'm not an older man. Well, you know, we'll see. Let's see about this. Older men, who are they, right? Older men, what are they supposed to do, first of all? Here's what they're supposed to do. Show up. Live this, okay? Older men are expected to show up and and live the truth. Um, Verse 2, older men are to be, and then literally six markers of what an older man should be and do. But who's an older man? Let's figure out who it is. Well, in Greek literature, older man, that this word older was used for anyone uh, uh, would be 50 and over. So give or take, you know, uh, it could be younger, it could be older, but um, I'm, I'm in the older man, older man category, okay? Older men, uh, there to be, and, and here's six markers, okay? So the older men, you show up and live like this. First thing, sober-minded. Sober-minded, it literally means no wine, it's a general, what, it, what it's talking about is a general restraint in indulging your desires, where you say no to excess. Could be excess drink, could be excess food, could be excess money, could be almost anything in life, that you have a temperate moderation. And it's, it's with respect to the use of wine and in all your tastes and habits. That there's no excess in your life. That you're not a slave to your appetites in food or drink or sleep or money or fun. That you have a firm hand on the rudder of your desires. And think about it. This day in which we live, many people are caught in addictions of so many kinds. Alcoholism, drug abuse, overeating, pornography, the list goes on. Sober-mindedness is so important uh, to achieve and maintain in order to have influence with people rightly for Christ. Otherwise, they'll be under your influence in a bad way. 
so sober-minded. Secondly, dignified. Dignified, we get our word reverend, honorable. The idea is serious-minded. Sober-minded and then serious-minded, where you're worthy of respect. You're reverent, you're dignified, you're respectable. You're imitatable, if you will. That your passions are kept in bounds, that you don't play the fool, that there is a seriousness about you that reflects the seriousness of life and God. That there is a gravity about you, that there is conduct befitting your years, that you would be worthy of respect, that you'd be the kind of man that would bless the home and the church. Dignified. Third, self-controlled. And all of these things are so related, but they're somewhat different. The idea here is sensible. So sober-minded and self-controlled, you're a sensible man where you have a reputation for sound judgment. That the elders are called to self-control. That the older women are called to self-control. That the younger women are called to self-control. That the younger men are called to self-control. Everyone's called to self-control because it's a fruit of the Spirit. It's a proof that someone is born again by the Spirit of God. And it will be reflected in your life. Older men, your speech, your behavior, your decisions. People need to be able to trust the counsel you give. That you would respond to life situations wisely. Self-controlled. And fourth, and now we run into three things that are to be sound, healthy. First, sound in faith. So number four, sound in faith or healthy in faith. What does that mean? It means it's a health, you have a healthy trust in God. That you're not trusting in yourself, you're trusting in God. Here's an example. In Acts 27, uh, there was a violent storm that arose uh, that threatened the lives uh, of everyone on this ship to Rome. Uh, Paul was on the ship. Uh, they had all come to the conclusion that there was no uh, rescue hope, that they weren't getting rescued, that they were going to crash. And Paul had been promised something by God. He was promised that they would crash and that no one would die, that no one would be lost. So he urges the people on board. He says this, I believe God, it will be just as it was told me. Acts 27, 25. So he took God at his word. He displayed a healthy faith. This is what older men are to do in the church, to open up their Bibles and say to people, this is how God has said it will be. I believe it. Sound and healthy in faith. Fifth, sound in love. Healthy in love, that your love is in good health, that you're not allowing your love to grow cold, that your love is not lacking, that there's forbearance in you, that there's forgiveness from you. And yes, if, if need be, there's tough love at times. You would even be constrained to warn, to rebuke, to exhort Christians who are in spiritual danger lovingly, but also just lovingly embracing the church and lovingly embracing the people in your care and and that your love is directed towards God first. We love because he first loved us. And then sixth, sound in steadfastness. Healthy in endurance, in patient endurance, in, in perseverance, in steadfast hope that you're a good example, that you're not a waverer, that you're unafraid in trials, that you model overcoming in Christ's strength and for his glory, that you're faithful to God and his word and his people, not in your own strength, but in his. These are the six expectations of older men. So roughly, if you're you're in that category, this is for you. It's for you to to aspire to. And I'm not overstating the case here. You know, we can exaggerate a lot of things in life, can't we? But this is not an exaggeration to say there's a lot riding on the guys in the church with knee and back problems. 
<laughs> There's a lot riding on all the guys that, you know, when they get up from the chair, they've got to kind of, you know, limber up a bit before they keep walking. It's true of us. What's so important for these things to be true of older Christian men? The, the mature age needs to get matched up by spiritual maturity, not as we say it, but as God defines it, because olders are to set example for the youngers. That's why. That we're to be worthy of respect, so the younger man would say, I want to be like that guy. I, I don't want to be rich or powerful or popular. I want to be godly like that guy. I, I don't want to be the strong man. I want to be the, the serving man. I don't want to be the strong man. I want to be the wise man. If you're an older man, with me, let me just say that the challenge bar is set high for us, and we cannot reach it in our own strength but that we must live as an example to inspire the younger men. If you're an older man, you're not just riding off into the sunset. You're not just saying, I'm, I'm leaving it to the youngers to deal with. They can clean up my mess. No. The model of godly, honest, mature manhood that they can follow, that lives in harmony with sound doctrine, stays through thick and thin. In the 19th century, there was a Scottish preacher, Andrew Bonner, who said this, few men and ministers keep up to the end the edge that was on their spirit at the first. Few men and ministers keep up to the end the edge that was on their spirit at the first. He's saying that few men continue to develop and mature as Christians to the end. It's a sad truth that spiritually not, that, that there's men that are not the men they were in the younger years. You have to avoid the travesty by staying sharp. Do you aspire to this? Old men, OGs, do you aspire to this? If it's not your aspiration, it needs to be. Now's not the time to quit. Now's not the time to coast. I remember once in the 1980s, I'm remembering all these things from the 1980s. I was starting an Awana club at the church I got saved at, the church I met my wife at, the church we got married at. I went to this one man, really looked up to him, thought he was a good, kind, godly, older man. I said, I want you to be a leader in the Awana groups for like third and fourth grade kids or boys. You know what I wanted him to say? I wanted him to say, oh, I'll put on the funny uniform if I can reach kids for Christ. Uh, I'll, I'll go do that every Wednesday night because I want to teach kids the word of God. But that's not what he said to me. You know what he said? He said, I've done all that. Let the younger guys do it. Now's not the time to quit, gentlemen. And it's not the time to coast. 
Like, you got to get back into it. Now, if you never got into it, get into it, okay? But if, you've never, if, you're, in, if you're saying, well, I'm going to retire. I'm going to stop being a discipler or an evangelist. I'm just going to let the younger guys do it all. Uh, no. Do it with them. You know, don't, look, you have a Bible. You know it. Start being godly. Start being imitatable in a godly way because our young men need you. You don't let them go alone. You don't make them say, there are no godly older men. And praise God, Grace Church is filled with godly older men. But I would venture to guess, or some among us, who need to, to take the time and make the time for life-on-life discipleship and for learning. You don't get to the point where you go, you know, I learned it all. I, got, I know it all. No, the most humble men I know, the most godly older men I know are still learning. Like, don't let the world, you know, cast you into its retirement mode. Like, we're responsible to do this in the church. And you can't say, I didn't know. You got a Bible. You can't say, well, no one mentored me, so I don't know what to do. No, you got a Bible. It's, and, and, and you got to do something. You have to if you want to be healthy. And, and, and the health of the church rides on this. It's not enough even to say, well, I'm meeting with lots of young men. Well, wonderful. What are you giving them? If you're not giving them sound doctrine, you're leading them astray. You're planting seeds of doubt in their mind. You're encouraging them to undermine. You're under the guise of fostering dialogue, but not helping, but hurting and hindering. No, you must support young men in the right direction in the time you spend with them. So spend time with them and lead them in the right direction. Don't see so seeds of division or doubt. You know, if you're a godly older man, you have a filter. And getting together is not enough. Quality control is crucial. So you think more of the person you're trying to help than yourself. If you're talking more than you're listening, something's wrong. If you're undermining sound doctrine, something's wrong. Uh, the sick infect others. So here's what I'll say to the oldsters. Take your vitamins and give leadership until appropriate to hand over the reins. But do not ever retire from evangelism and discipleship. My models. I've got so many I could stand here. I feel like I could stand here for hours and tell you the stories. My dad, Denny Clementson, Gary Nealon, Ed Trenner, Mark Holbrook. And by the way, I just passed, from my dad onward, I just passed on like probably 50 to 100 guys I could name. My fellow elders, See them pouring into young men? See, the, the fulcrum of the church depends on faithful men. It rests on faithful men who are looking to Christ for strength, which is why the Holy Spirit had Paul tell Titus, oh, tell the leader men. <laughs> you stand up. You give the truth. And older men, you, you show up. You show up and you keep living the truth. Then we get to the younger men. Verse 6. So strap on, younger men. Ready? Buckle up. Oh, now here's an interesting thing. 
It is so simple. Verse 6. Look at, look at it. Just put your eyes on it. It's, it's like, wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait. Only one thing for the younger men? <laughs> wait a minute. Verse 6. Likewise, urge the younger men to be, wait for it, self-controlled. Same word used in chapter 1, verse 8 for elders. In chapter 2, verse 2 of older men. Same word used for older and younger women. Uh, the, the focus, you know, the idea of being having a sound mind and exercising self-control and to have your whole life under control of, of, a, of a godly heart and mind. That younger men are to be sober-minded and sensible and clear-headed in their thinking and able to exercise sound judgment? Hmm. Why would that be the only thing that the, the younger men get? Why, why would that be the one thing that the younger men get? You, you all know the answer. You all know the answer. Why, why is that, that one thing for the younger men? Why the older men, why the oldsters get six and the younger men get one? Older guys got knee problems and back problems. Older guys have mileage. And the younger guys get one thing? Oh, there's a reason. There's surely a reason. It's because that one thing, it pretty much sums up everything. Those six markers? Hey, buddy, watch and learn by example. Self-controlled pretty much sums it up. Let me put it to you in the vernacular. Put your big boy pants on. Young man, put your big boy pants on. Grow up. You guys are hiding out, playing video games. No. Grow up. Pay your bills. Go get married. Have a family. Do your job. Put your big boy pants on. Look at what it says in 1 Peter 5.5. 5. You who are younger, be subject to your elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Don't be like a Cretan. Titus already got that word about the Cretans. <laughs> Always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. Not like the Cretans. You know, church situation back then, they were getting exposed to false teaching. People were twisting the truth. People taught teaching contrary to the will of God. In the face of falsehood, they needed to urgently have the qualities of mind and judgment to keep them from being led astray. That's why this is so important. Like youngsters, look and learn. I, I was young once. I'm younger than some of you, but I'm older than a lot of you. Look, I was young once. I had godly older men pointing me in the right direction. And, and, you know, what you get hammered on when you're young is you need to be sober-minded. You need to be self-controlled. And what's interesting is the fact that every Christian is called to this is also telling. See, this is an all-of-life thing. This is the permeating influence of your life. Like young men, there's an impact on, of your speech upon your life. There's an impact of your behavior upon your life and the decisions you make and the counsel you give and how you respond to life situations and how you do your job and how you do your ministry. This cannot be overestimated. And we're not going to sell it short. 
It's obtained one way. You, you don't get it injected in your vein. You don't sit there and, you know, and get a transfusion. You know, you, know how, you know how you get this? One way. You get it through, through, the, through the word of God with the people of God. Yet through the Bible, the mind of Christ, you get clear directives from God how to live, how to be, what to believe, how to behave. Your mind, your mind is like your lawn. A lot of us guys, we care about our lawn. If you don't care for your lawn and look after it, you don't cultivate it, it becomes a wasteland of weeds. You leave it alone, it will become weedy. You leave yourself alone, you leave your soul alone, you'll become worldly. But if you would be sober-minded, young men, you'd be sensible, marked by sound judgment, then you would simmer and stew your mind in the word of God. And, and your self-control is going to come about as you, you discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness, and you are disciplined by the Lord, and you're disciplined even by older men in the Lord, and you have discernment, and it happens in Christ, in the word, in the church. Where you discipline yourself for godliness. Paul told Timothy, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Cut it out. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is, is of value in every way. As it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving full acceptance. You know what that means? You can't write this off. You can't say, I don't want that, unless you're not a believer. If you're a believer, this is a trustworthy saying, and you have to fully accept it. You need discernment. You need discipline. And you need discernment in the teaching you receive. You know, there's endless books. All are not good. Some are trash. There's endless podcasts. Some are trash. Young men, you know, look clearly and simply to Christ in community with others and, 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 and encourage others and be encouraged. And there's a lot of young men, and I know it's epidemic and it kind of probably always has been. There's a lot of young men that don't get encouraged. They just get fingers wagged at them. They, they don't get encouraged. If you're a young man in Grace Church of Orange, I want you to know I want to ask you, is anyone encouraging you? And I want you to know, all you need is one person in your corner. When you're telling yourself things and the world's telling you, self, telling you things and you don't think you can amount to anything, all you need is one person in your corner. Your mom, your dad, your brother, your sister, your spouse, your friend who says to you, I see something in you that God can use. It's what you need. It's what you need to grow up in the, in the truth. As leader men stand up and give the truth and older men show up and live it, younger men, you need, you need to grow up in the truth and you need, you need men who are leading you along and encouraging you along. And now back to Titus, verses 7 and 8. It's like, you know what? We can't, we can't let this go without one more word to the leaders. Verses 7 and 8. Again, what men who are leaders are to be. Here it is. Stand up. You stand up and deliver the truth 
you remain in it, you abide in it, but then you, you protect the flock with it. You, you help the church. You, you defend the truth. Look at verse 7. Show yourself in all respects. Literally present yourself. Literally show yourself to be something. A realistic representation. To be a model of good works. Conduct. In, in everything, set them an example for doing what is good. Them. Who's them? Older men, older women, younger men, younger men, younger women. Titus's life, the leader's life, was to show a pattern of good works for all to imitate. And teaching, and in your teaching, show integrity, uncorrupted, sincere, the purity of motive, no desire for gain, no respect for persons, just a purity of doctrine and dignity, it says in verse 8, and sound speech reflects the content of what you say. It matters. It says that your speech should not be condemned. It cannot be condemned. Without accusation, unable to be accused, cannot be condemned, uncondemnable speech that is healthy. Your word choice matters, men. Leaders, younger, older, word choice matters. And it is so that, it tells us, that the opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. That the opponent would be painted into the corner. Nothing sticks. They're embarrassed and shamed due to unsuccessful lies. That false teachers and other enemies would, would get silenced by godly teaching and living. The godly teaching and living attacks the, uh, the, the, uh, the attacks of the ungodly. That it silences it. Bent, people that are bent on finding something to accuse godly Christians of. And Titus's character as a Christian leader was to be um, impeccable. Again, not on his own. And whether you're a leader, or a, a husband, a father, a son, a brother, a worker, you, you be an example, a pattern of healthy, good works that, that others can see and imitate. That you're, you know, even as the leaders lead the way, your relationships with women, that your attitude towards women and, and work and money and, and, and possessions and any other part of life, that your attitude towards things is godly and that your commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ and his church is unquestionable. Not perfect, but just impeccable. John Stott sums it up well what Christian leaders are to be. He sums it up neatly in terms of motive and manner and matter. He says this, Christian teachers characterized by purity of motive, not like those who peddle false doctrines for gain, and seriousness of manner, that people will not take serious subjects seriously unless there's a due seriousness in the preacher's manner and delivery, and soundness of matter, that your doctrine needs to be pure and healthy. Men, leaders, olders, youngers, live your life, live your faith in public. Stand for objective, unchanging biblical truth. Um, all while you're going to be called an extremist or worse, you, you live and speak the truth in love and you don't back down. You stay together. And that all who resist your good works resist God at work in you. That you need to avoid those who high-handedly mishandle the word and despicably manipulate emotions. That you continue to even to swim against the tide of the culture of lies and, and tell the truth. There's reach people who are diametrically opposed to the truth even. But pray, but don't have your head in the sand. You know, take the rose-colored glasses off and be realistic. We are living in a world, engaging with people, often opposed diametrically to our worldview, and uh, truth is not this buffet of stuff you get to choose from and say, well, that's right for you, but this is right for me. 
No, some people think things that are actually wrong. And you have to be fearless. I think what he's saying in verses 7 and 8 is the leader in Christ's church must be fearless, unflinching. That He says in verse 15, let no one disregard you. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Yes, we, want, we, we shrink from that, and we ought not to. Declare these truths with unwavering strength. Scratch not the itching ears. Don't cave in. Don't chicken out. Don't be a coward. This is not a moment to waver. We stand and deliver. I love what Amy Carmichael said. If I blunt the edge of truth, speaking not right things, but smooth things, then I know nothing of Calvary love. Don't blunt the edge of truth and neglect to speak right things because you want to speak smooth things that will please people because it doesn't reflect Christ's love that sent him to Calvary. If you're an OG, if you're the old guy, be a model. Be a model to the younger men. that They could look at, at your life and say, I want to be like him as he follows Christ. And, and we don't do these things alone. Titus would have had fellow elders. You see in, in chapter one, I, I told you to appoint elders. There's a plurality that God intends. And the body working together under humble servant leadership, everyone doing their part, older and younger, everyone together in union with Christ. But if we fail in this, it will harm the people of God. It will damage the reputation of the gospel. It will hinder our effectiveness in the world. We do not want God's name blasphemed among the Gentiles because of us. You know, that, that God would help us to live and serve that that would never be said of us. Because Christian manhood, biblical Christian manhood, has to be spelled out, has to be called out, has to be lived out. That leader men stand up and give the truth. Older men, show up and live the truth. Younger men, grow up in the truth. And leader men, stand up for the truth and defend it. You reflect your father's goodness when you do. And if men don't stand up or show up or grow up, the church is hindered. Because you know what the church is to be doing? What we're all to be doing? Looking for Christ to return. If you look at verses 11 to 14, the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope and the appearing of our blessed, uh, appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Everyone's to do this. We look up for Christ's return as, as, as the men lead the way. I want to say one last thing to the men. I'm going to say it. I don't want you to forget it, okay? One thing all this has in common, it demands you relate to other human beings. You can't hide out in your room. You can't hibernate, you can't mail it in, you must be present to win. Uh, and there is risk involved. You, know, you can drown from drinking a glass of water, gentlemen. Uh, Uncle Bilbo said this to his nephew in The Lord of the Rings, it's a dangerous business, Frodo, going out your door. You step onto the road and if you don't keep your feet, there's no, there's no knowing where you might be swept off to. What might sweep you away? 
So men, remember this. You do not go alone. In Christ, you have a new identity. You didn't just get a logo slapped on you, Christian, to go alone. No, you got a life. You got a union with Christ that is eternal. Christ lives in you. You didn't get a logo. You got a life, and you got a community of faith that you have to stay connected to in this pursuit. You don't go alone. Many swerve from the truth that they go alone. Alone is aimless. But with Christ, we are more than conquerors. Every one of those markers that we saw today, those, even the six characteristics of, of older men, those are seen in Christ. Those are seen in Christ. Christ is our example. He is our leader. 1 Peter 2 says, Christ suffered for you and set you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. And when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself Jesus bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. So gentlemen and everybody, look to Jesus, author and perfecter of our faith. Look to Jesus, Alpha and Omega. Look to Jesus, the great I Am. He will give you the strength you need to do what he calls you to do. Whom the Son sets free shall be free indeed. Not like the world. Not twisting God's word. Not abdicating our God-given roles, not usurping God's authority, not denying God's design. No, leader men stand up, older men show up, younger men grow up, everyone look up because Jesus is coming back. He's coming back and influences matter and Christian men must be healthy spiritually because they influence others for better or worse. All right, Lord, thank you that when, when you appear, we will be like you and we will see you just as you are. Thank you, Lord, that we get a glimpse of your reflected glory now as the church lives in the world before you, the King, appears in full glory. And for every man listening to this message, Lord, that if we would bring you glory and do our calling, that we know you'll be pleased, that we won't have to compare ourselves to others or worry what everybody's thinking, but that we would just look for the well-done, good and faithful servant, enter the joy of your master. That's what we want, Lord. May you be pleased, may you be honored, may you be glorified. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand if you're able? And we'll close singing How Great Is Our God together.
As we go, a uh, couple announcements, a few announcements. Uh, Vacation Bible School is starting tomorrow. We're going to have hundreds of kids on campus and lots of leaders as well. I'll be praying for the team, praying for all the kids that are coming to hear the Word of God and uh, build relationships as well. Um, that's going on all week, Monday through Friday. Grace Orange Academy, registration is open. Info night on the 28th of June. Uh, lots of summer events. Uh, missions conference on July 29th. And... Uh, Happy Father's Day to the dads, and congrats to the grads. Uh, we're thankful for you. want to give you a gift to convey that. And a wide selection of gifts out, uh, books out there on the plaza that we have carefully curated for you. And I think there's some snacks probably still left as well. And uh, so pick some of that up when you leave today. So as we close, let's look at 1 Corinthians 15, 58, and then two more verses after that. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all you do be done in love. And Lord, may this be true of us. In your strength and for your glory, we don't live alone. We want to live uh, to please you. We thank you and praise you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Sovereign in the mountain air, sovereign on the ocean floor, with me in the calm, with me in the